Uh, I'm going to read the text for this morning. Uh, This is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema in the Hebrew Bible. Um, And I don't have it on the screen because I want you to just hear. Because it literally says, hear, O Israel, in the first word. So if you have to close your eyes to just listen, I want to invite you to do so. So the word of the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Father, thank you that you are one, Father, Son, and Spirit. You command us, and Jesus reaffirms this, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I pray as we look at what it means to be your people, what it means to be the church, that you help us imagine what that may look like in our day and age. So, Father, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are in, a, like I said, a little two-week mini-series before we start Jonah that we're calling Rechurch. And in essence, this is a, a series that we're going back to. Okay, what are we as a family all about? When Jesus taught in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he often started a talk by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's doing is he's re, in our language, re-churching them. You have heard that this may be what it's like to be part of a family or what it means to be part of a church. But I say unto you, where I'm going to help you reimagine and rechurch what he is actually calling us to. And so we're going into like, hey, these are the things that we believe God has called us in this specific space to be. Last week, we looked at four different words and we started to reclassify them. We talked about identity. Oftentimes, we look at who somebody is based on what they do. Hey, what's your name? Second question, what do you do? And as believers made in the image of Jesus, saved by his grace, we know that we are not what we do. It just happens to be what we do. Our identity is given to us by God, and we then live out of that identity. We are before we do. We talked about the term discipleship and how to gain a flourishing life and to get your true self, we must work through the cross. The cross comes before the resurrection. You want the promises of the kingdom, you have to go through the means of the kingdom, which is the cross. And discipleship is increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering lordship of Jesus. The third one is we looked at church. And I, and I say it again, I, we hope that this is the last time you ever go to church. Because we want you, if you are saved by the grace of Jesus, we want you to see that the church is who you are. 
It's the family of God living amongst one another in everyday life. And so when some of us are together in our missional communities, that's the family of God. That's the life of the church. When, when you're throwing a party with your neighbors, when you're hanging out with brothers and sisters in Christ, that's all part of what it means to be the church. And so we want that to be an everyday thing, not just a Sunday only thing. We are God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes in the world. And then lastly, we talked about mission. You've heard that term even used a few times this morning. And we are reclassifying by saying mission is not projects, it's friendships. What does it mean for us as God's people to see the work of God extend, to work in God's kingdom, to sow God's kingdoms? Well, it means that we build friendships with people. That's simple. We, we see strangers become acquaintances, and then we see acquaintances become friends, and then friends become disciples, and then disciples become disciple makers. That's what mission looks like. Not, hey, you don't know Jesus. You're now my project that I'm going to work on. Or, oh, this school needs serving. I'm just going to serve the school without anybody around me. No, it's relational. It's friendship based. So those are all the things that we've been looking at. Now we're going to start looking at a, a little bit deeper level of saying, okay, what are the means by which we get to do this? How, what is our posture and what are some right understandings we need in order to live out the Shema? Now, let me go back to this text just for a moment because verse 7 is really important. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, in this, it's where, when, how. What is the way in which God told his people to live out his commands? Okay? Well, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Now, what is this passage really hinting at? All the time. When you rise and when you lay down. That's a 20, right? That's the whole time. When you sit, when you walk. All the time. The way in which this gets lived out is not in certain spaces at certain times. This is an all of life, all encompassing thing Jesus is calling his people to. So how, if this is an all of life thing, how do we start to live that out? So there's four things I want to talk about today. Um, and it's the way in which we're going to live this out, not just the timing, but our posture. The first thing is that rest is better than rushing. Rest is better than rushing. We're going to have to go all the way back to Genesis 1 to understand this one. If you, um, for those of you that are familiar with the story, and if you're unfamiliar, let me just retell it. The, the story of the beginning of the Bible, the Genesis, the narrative, is that in the beginning, God created everything that you see. And it uses the term days. Okay, So in this first day, he did this. And then on the sixth day, he created human beings. It's the last of God's grand creation. So humans are created on the sixth day in his image, male and female. They're given the command to be fruitful and multiply to fill the world. Genesis 2 tells us they're to tend and keep the garden, which means that all this created order, all the stuff in the world, 
you now get to build it out into infrastructure and cities and systems that show the world what I am like. That's your job. That's day six that they're given that command. What happens on day seven? Rest. What is the first day of humans' existence? Rest. If you don't have a problem with that, you are not like me. If somebody told me a job, the first thing I'm going to do is, let's get at it. Let's go. I played basketball as a kid. Loved basketball. Um, Still a Supersonics fan. Like, I should have worn my Supersonics hat. I say that every day, but Darian hates it. So I only wear it sometimes um, when when I'm not in the doghouse. Anyways, so basketball. This is what they taught me. They said, when you, like, say you make a, a hoop. You make a shot. You don't walk to the other end to wait for defense. You make the shot and you run, you work, and then you rest when you get to the other end. Take a breath then and then be ready to defend. What the saying was, work, then work, then rest. That has been kind of my framework of life over and over and over again. That's my natural default as a human being. Work, and then work a little bit more, do some more stuff. And then once you've done all the work that you need to do, then you get to rest. What's the biblical example, though? It is actually, here's your job, now take a day off. Rest. It's not rushing around. It's not getting stuff done first. It's... It's actually coming, your understanding of yourself is based on what God says, and then you show that by resting. Uh, Walter Adams, who was the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. So rest is partially pace, right? It's partially how much stuff, how quick you are doing. But it also, I I believe it's a posture of the heart. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a monk in a castle in the middle of nowhere. Although at times in life, that just sounds fantastic. (laughs) Starting an abbey and just doing that would be, I'm all, yes, please. It doesn't mean that you're completely removing yourself from life and just sitting around meditating all the time. Because we should be tired at the end of the day. Like God created us to work. Work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, right? We should work. God gave them work to do. But a lot of times it's our posture of the heart. And when we're rushing around, we're missing the opportunity to experience God's joy and God's opportunities to live out what he's calling you to do. I am coming at this knowing that I may be the chief of sinners in this. Knowing that this is not like a, okay, this is, I'm, I'm killing it at this. <laughs> Because uh, because this is constantly in a reminder for me, and this is what I filter this one out. I'm I ask the question: 
Do I have space for God to interrupt me? So think to the the story of the scripture in the book of Acts. You have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip's going about doing his own thing. God tells him to do something he has no reason to do. And then all of a sudden he goes and does that. And then he meets somebody at the exact same moment that he needed to meet them. That person hears the gospel. Hey, there's some water right there. Let's go and get baptized. Gets baptized. And then Philip's gone the next moment. Can you imagine if he was like, hey, like he felt this nudge to go and do something. But then he's like, actually, that doesn't fit my calendar. I have this to do and then this to do. And it's so jammed packed that I'm just rushing from one thing to the next. Or are we a people that is countercultural? Because let's be honest, that is in our day as and I'll speak for myself. This may not be your life stage, but as a. A father with a family of three, the expectation is my kids are in. Everybody's got their own thing, maybe two or three things. And there's overlapping and then there's all. And oh, and by the way, you have to do this and you have to do this. And it's just busy, busy, busy. Oh, school's asking you to do this. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, we're supposed to live on mission somehow. Ah, I got to fit into my schedule. And it's just busy, 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 busy. If we're going to be a people that are different type of people, we need to learn to rest well. Sabbath, take days off. Have a posture of our heart where we say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm busy doing things. You know what one of the hardest lessons that you can find out if you're doing this well? Ask somebody else what it's like to be around you. Oh, boy. Um, Before my sabbatical, well, actually afterwards, it's always funny when like God changes you. You don't realize what it was like beforehand until somebody says something to encourage you. But it's kind of a cut on what it was like before. Does that make sense? It's like, oh, man, like, Justin, you're just so much more present than you were before. I'm like, well, what are you saying I was like before this? Like, and I know that's, I'm, I've got a thousand things about what's next to do. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm rarely thinking about the present. Rarely. So bad on my part. But when you actually do and God transforms and you're able to experience and walk with Jesus in that unhurried pace, it allows you to then fuel the rest of life. So... If we're going to be a people that has a new identity, that's living as disciples who make disciples, as the people of God on his mission, we're going to have to learn and be a people that rest more than we rush. Secondly, we are going to have to recognize that sacrificial community is better than individual consumption. Sacrificial community is better than individual consumption. How many of you have been on a cruise before? Okay, what's your favorite part? Resting. Resting. Some eating. Did somebody say eating? Or am I just hearing that because that's mine? Eating? Yeah, eating, right? All the time. You just gorge yourself. Like modern day cruising is you overeat and you're guaranteed to get COVID. Like that's just what cruise ships are like right now. Just the cesspool of COVID. And that's, you know, sign up for it. You know you're going to get it. That's all you got. But you're going to eat, right? But what else favorite parts of the cruise ship? Hot tub. Hot tub? Okay, that's a random one. I like that. 
Free time. How many of you, like, you walk on and you get the program? And you, like, you look and you see that this cruise ship has offered you so many opportunities to do whatever it is that you want. There's this show at this time. Great, awesome, wonderful. It's not going to fit everybody, but it could work for you. Maybe it's, hey, there's this, this restaurant that is dressed a little bit nicer if you want to have a night out on the boat. I would say on the town. Even though those ships are massive, they're the city in themselves, right? Um, this is for you. This is what you want. This is what you may like. Here you go. Go ahead and enjoy this. There's all the food all over the place. There's casinos everywhere. Like you're inundated with all this amazing, fun, wonderful opportunities. And don't, uh, don't get me wrong. They are wonderful. They are great. My concern, though, is that as the church in the West, we look at church like a cruise ship. Where it's not only what is being offered and do I like it for my own sake. I I like this, I like this, I like this. And we we start to think, man, if this isn't offered, I am not getting what I want. And I'm going to go to something else. It's very similar to people thinking of church like restaurants, individual consumption, what I like, what I, what I do, what is offered to me. And if it does, if that does not live up to the standard, then moving on rather than it's actually about belonging to a body. Ephesians four says this, and he, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves um, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So I hope you don't only understand that Paul loves run-on sentences. Okay, he does. He just writes them all the time. He can't help it. He would not pass English class. That's okay. But I hope that you're seeing what's the goal of all this? What's the end? What's he doing? He's equipping. Okay, he's, he's helping people. He's letting them see that they have gifts. That, but it's to what end? To maturity. So that all people may not only be united, be one, not tossed about by the teachings that are contrary to Jesus doesn't mean you remove yourself from hearing them. It's just the ability to say, yeah, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not what his kingdom is like. I'm not going to be tossed about by that. This is the way of life and life to the full. But it's also that you grow up into the image and the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is that picture It's the one who is king 
but who is the sacrificial king, the one who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What does maturity in God's kingdom look like? It's not what's in it for me. It's what does God want to do through me for others? See the difference? If we approach church as cruise ship, restaurant, something to consume, we are in the system that's re-emphasizing what it means to receive. If, and let me ask this. I, I often, I'm going to go here. I often have regular conversations with other leaders in the area. I'm passionate about the, the church and the city working together. Um, being creative, working in, in unique new ways. Um, being one, there's no competition, none of that stuff. And I often hear other leaders like, man, like, you know, like, it's just, I can't get people to like sacrifice. And then I, I look at what they're promoting. And I'm like, do you start to think like maybe you're building something that is enforcing the very thing that you don't like? Like, oh, hey, we got all this great stuff. It's so good for your family. It's exactly what you want, what you need. Now, is that bad? No, don't hear that. I mean, this is us. I mean, this is, yeah, let's look in the mirror for a second. As the people of God. Are those bad things? No. Do you need to grow? Yes. Do you need to mature? Yes. Do you need to be fed God's word? Yes. Do you, like, please, those are good things. But if that's the primary, then you're never going to have the opportunity to experiment and get creative on what God may be asking you to do. We would not be partnering with the city in the way that that MC is doing it if we were a cruise ship that busied us up with how to go about doing certain things. Because we wouldn't have had the space to do it. This would have been our little thing. It's what we do. No, we want it to be for the sake of others. So, and it's not just individual. This is community. You are gifted. I mean, what is this passage in Ephesians saying? You, every single person. Because he addresses uh, the beginning of Ephesus. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus in, one, in chapter 1, verse 1. And then what does he say? In verse 12, to equip the saints. So who is Paul saying these five gifts are to equip? Everybody. Not just a few. Everybody. And that means everybody's job is to hold the body together. And notice what happens at the end of this passage. The end of this passage is you don't need these leaders in this way anymore. The end of this passage is you guys got it within yourself to build each other up in love. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers did their job. Now you guys get to do it together. See how this is its building up. It's maturing. It's calling people to it. And each of you get to play a role in this. And so we as the people of God, and this is all of us need to understand our own hearts in this. Are we looking for a time for just me to be fed? Or am I asking the question, 
What do I have to give? Now, if you're at wit's end and you're, at the, you've, you're in the stage of coming to your end of yourself and you've got nothing to give, at least we found that out and now we can serve in a different way. People get to that stage. That's part of maturity is coming to an end of yourself. But if I am not asking what do you have to give, you may never find that out. I got nothing. I'm at wit's end. I got three kids under three. You got no capacity for a lot of stuff. That's okay. That's okay. Like, that's not like, oh, do more, try harder. No, you're at that stage. That's fine. Uh, you're working this job. You're, you're trying to make ends meet. Single mom, you can't afford anything. I'm not going to say, hey, you're going to now have to give 50% of your, to give to the church so now the church can survive. No, that's not your task in the body at the moment. And that's good. That's wonderful. That's glorious. But we have to start with, how do I, what do I have to give? Not with, what do I have to receive? This is what I need. This is what's in it for me. This is where I'm at. There's a different starting point. And so we have to see that sacrificial community is better than individual consumption. The next, it goes along with this. And the third one, so one, rest is better than rushing. Two, sacrificial community is better than individual consumption. Three, belonging to a body is better than spiritual performance. Okay, we just read the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We looked at when does discipleship happen? It happens in the midst of all of life. But who does it happen with? How have you been discipled? Do you think about it? Like, okay, well, if I were to look back at my story, I go to my previous church experiences and I'm so thankful. I hope you don't hear anything antagonistic about anything today. This is just a, a deep passion for the church to be um, presented to Jesus in the way that he wants it to be. And for me, a lot of my discipleship was very um, classroom oriented. Like uh, I was part of a church that did like the 101, 201, 301, 401. Like you went through the classes and then once you did that, you're like, OK, you're good to go. And then, oh, by the way, you have to go to this program and then this will do this for you. Um, not bad. It served me well, but it showed there was a little bit of a um, if I can teach you to know something, then you're good to go. It's very logic driven. It's it's taught. Let me give you three ways in which you can fill in the blank. Do you need to be taught? Well, I'm up here. Of course, I think you need to be taught. I'm not saying no. But how do you actually change as a human being? What is the means by which God has formed you to um, be transformed? It's not primarily through teaching. I know this has, this time that I put a good amount of time to, is not the primary way in which you are going to be discipled this week. If it is for you, please let, come and talk. We need to get things sorted out a little bit differently because that is not what this is designed for. This, a sermon, 
with somebody else processing the word of God and kind of regurgitating it to you is not the best meal unless you're a baby bird. It's it's just not going to be sufficient. Is it important? I'm up here doing this. Not saying not important. I'm just saying it's not sufficient and it's not primary. It has to be. It has to be in relationship with other human beings. Because we primarily learn not by being taught, but by what we catch from other people. Following other people's examples is probably the best way for people to learn. Watching, seeing, modeling, showing, pulling along somebody. Hey, I did this. This is why I did that. It's almost like Jesus did it on purpose with his 12 disciples this way. Did he teach them? Absolutely. And he walked with them and talked with them and he rose with them and he sat with them and he walked with them. Almost like he was fulfilling the Shema in how he discipled people. And this is good because it, we belong to a body and we're not trying to perform for one another. Now, let me unpack that for a moment. Our job is to teach through example. I am a disciple, therefore I make disciples. I do, let me show you how to do this. We see Jesus teaching people to obey by being with him. In the West, we have a really keen ability to put on a a show for other people. To put on a little bit of a performance. Because all of us are good performers. You may not be a stage performer, but all of us can hide a little bit. Oh, this is what it means to show up in this environment with this group of people in this way. I have to say the right words, look the right way, do the right things. But my life behind it is a wreck. I don't like any of this stuff. I don't have any desire for Jesus. I don't like my family. I'm ready to run away, whatever it may be. But we can perform really, really well. Just, just, just for an hour and a half, two hours, just enough. And then I just, oh, let my hair down. I go put on my elastic pants and just let myself go, right? That we... And brothers and sisters, like, that's not flourishing life. It's just not. No one in this room has it all together. You don't need to perform. You don't need to put on a good show. It's messy. It's ugly sometimes. Our hearts are this knot of this and that. And... If I am coming to, I don't open up my heart to that level with people on a cruise ship I just met. Just don't. I'm not going to let them know how twisted my heart is. When am I going to do that? I'm going to do it with family. I belong to a body. And so if we're constantly performing, if we're trying to teach one another and just go through the motions, rather than just being people along the ways of Jesus together, as we sit, as we teach diligently, as we walk, as we lie down and as we rise, we're, we're going to keep putting on a spiritual performance. 
And I just know too many people that have that can whiff that out and they run as far away from that as they can now. Just like, I don't want anything to do with that. It's like, no, it's almost like it's gross to these people. And it's like, no, this is just where we're at. This is who we are. Jesus is king. I don't have to be. Jesus is the perfect one. You don't have to be. This is where things are. And if we provide and open up the recognition that we're just the family of God, we're the people of God, we're part of the body, we're working towards it, we're building one another up, we're modeling what it means to follow Jesus, and we're failing, and we're doing all this stuff, you know what? That's going to provide a really, really healthy environment. That's going to provide the space where people need to grow, and we get to belong to the body, not to perform or expect other things. And lastly, real quickly, it's it's, it's hunger expectation is better than complacent feed me. When you walked in this morning, what was the first thought that entered your mind? When, when you were getting up out of bed and you recognize it's Sunday morning and this church family gathers together across our missional communities on Sunday morning. And we, we get here, we do this stuff, and we, we want to encourage and build up and exhort, and we want to experience all that stuff. But, but do a self-assessment for a second. What was your first thought? Was it, oh, here, okay, I just, I, go, going through the motions. In some ways, you know, that's kind of, you kind of have to keep doing something in order to get good at something, to grow. That's, that's called spiritual formation. Like, there's an element to that that you just got to be faithful. Keep on keeping on. Do even when you don't want to, right? You, you go to the gym, you work out, you don't see results in two weeks, and then you give up. Well, no, just keep showing up. That's, like, that's what, when things change. So there's an element to that that that's good. So I'm not totally assuming that one away. Maybe it's... Um, you know, I just got to go through what somebody else is telling me to go through. I'm here because somebody else tells me I got to be here. I want my relationship with my spouse to be good and they tell me I got to be here. So therefore, I'm just going to show up. I don't want to be here. I'm just going to do it. Okay. That's self-assessment. But what changes when... Instead of it's like, what's it, how am I getting what I need? To what happens when a group of people are actually expecting to meet with God together? Because it may be just going through the motions. It may be doing it for somebody else. It may just being like, feed me, feed me, feed me. But it also may be, you know what? I actually am expecting to see and meet and know God when we gather together as a people of God. I'm expecting it. I'm not hoping for it. When you gather together with your missional community, what do you expect? When God's people meet in any form or any fashion, I think I've done a poor job in seasons of leadership 
not setting the expectation of our heart posture, us in our faith, wanting to see and meet and know God. There is a vertical element to worship. There is a vertical element to whenever we gather together, when it's in your home, in a DNA group, whatever form that we meet. But I want to speak specifically to this time together since we're all here right now. If we just come only with these first three, the likelihood is those may be met. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to meet with God. We go through the motions. Cool. But what if we actually started to be hungry for God's presence itself? God's presence in the scriptures is literally the face of God. We'll see that when we actually get in Jonah. When he flees God's presence, he's fleeing the face of God. I, just, I think that's, I love that idiom. Because what happens when I look at somebody's face? I know and I'm known. I look in somebody's eye. I, it's almost like the, I can see into somebody's soul face to face, right? What happens if we're saying, God, I come to see you face to face. Now I'm going to see you through the body that we belong to. But I, we are expecting not passively, okay, I hope it happens. But God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to, how do you want me to serve other people? Come into your MCs with the, okay, I'm here. There's this person. I'm looking for God at work so I can join him. Where is God speaking? Where is he meeting us? Where is he at work? How, where is going on? I, I don't know what that is, but... So for us to expect God to show up, to minister to you, for him to be worshipped, for him to be known, for him to, I mean, if you look at Corinth, there was like, they, Paul knew when he was speaking to Corinthians, when people show up and they're with you, they will know that they met God. They just know. It's like, obviously, I don't think we're there yet. This is a family meeting moment, right? I don't think we're there. I don't, I don't think we have that all the time. And this is not a shame on you. It's a no, brothers and sisters. This is a chance for us to receive God's grace. What if God actually wants to meet with us? What if God actually wants to embrace you? And what if he wants to look you in the eyes and say, I love you. I see you. I know you. I know what you have, what's been going on this week. And I still love you. Not because you lived up to the standard, but because my grace is so magnificent, so powerful, so wonderful that you could fail the rest of your life and my love will never change for you. That you're kept. I don't have that all the time. This morning I woke up, oh, I got a busy day today. I got this, and I got to baptize Joy. Uh, like, what's wrong with you? Oh, your heart. Like, do you realize, like, these are days that you live for? And yet, fickle heart didn't show up that way today. Being honest. I was like, okay, I'm just going to get through it. Then I got baptized, and I got to go to this party, and then I got to coach the MCs, blah, 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 blah. What's tomorrow look like? That was me this morning, 6.30, as I wake up and doing last-minute touches on this. Just so you know, this is not part of my notes. 
Just there. I, I get it. I know it. I understand it. I live it. I experience it often. And it's only going to keep things the same way. If all of us together stay in whatever spot that's like. There's not an eagerness. There's not an expectation. There's not a desire. I love our charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Love them. They do some weird stuff. And they admit that they do some weird stuff. They do. I talked to them this week. They're like, yeah, that's weird. We're not all about that. Good. Because either am I. But what they do is this. They show up expecting. They're, they're there. And you know what? Sometimes it's a performance. I get that. Sometimes it's broken. Sometimes it's not all right. Sometimes it's a little wacky. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's not focus on the outliers. Let's just focus on the right stuff. We need to meet with God. Like you have a difficult life. Things are not easy. Things are busy. You're going to rush more than you are going to rest. You're going to perform more than you're going to belong to a body. You're going to make mistakes. We, and what we need is not me to come and feed you. We need Jesus to be present. And if you think it's me, I'm going to speak raw for a second. I am not a product to consume. That's not what church is. We are a body. We're people. We're family. That needs to grow. That needs to see the lost come. That needs to see the kingdom expand. But if, if anybody up here, any elder, any leader, are products that you're like, ah, I, you're not doing the thing I want you to do anymore. I'm out. This is, pro- go. I love you. In the name of Jesus, I'll show you a better family to be part of it. That's what you like. But that's not what this is about. This is the family of God learning to be the church, fumbling our way through things sometimes, being disciples, making disciples, seeing, living on mission in the everyday life as we lay down, as we rise, as we sit, all of it. Not, not looking for myself, but sacrificing for others. Because of, not because I'm trying to earn, but because of why we go to the table in the first place. It, this is all only solely 100% motivated because of what Jesus did on our behalf. The only reason. And if it's any other reason than that, then we need to check our hearts and, and do some really hard work. Because we are generous, we sacrifice, because he who is king, who is God, from eternity past, took on flesh, dwelt among his people, became a baby, lived, learned amongst his creation, walked with his people, and lived the perfect life, showcased what the kingdom of God is like, the way, uh, his way of how the world flourishes. The world did not like that. Jesus did not die because he was some nice guy. It's because he challenged the systems and structures of the world. Because he has a kingdom that's different you and you can come on up. He has a kingdom that the, the greatest will be servants of all. The, le- the last will be first. The least will be greatest. The inside parts of the body are 
more honorable than the, the showcase parts of the body. It says that in uh, Ephesians. That's a humbling thing for somebody like myself. Right? Those are, why is that? Because that's who he is. His body broken. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we come not because we've earned it. Not because we've lived up to it. Not because we've lived on mission well. None of those things determine why we are acceptable to God himself. We get to experience God in hunger because he first showed up to us. He first pursued us. He first sacrificed for us. And so we are recipients of something before we ever have anything to give back. So this is a reminder of what we are recipients of. I come to the table, not with my good deeds, not with my good works, not because I live up to whatever standard I've got. I come to the table needy, broken, filled with sin. And Jesus says, I know you and I love you. I see you. And I want to make my home in you. That's John 14. And so we go to the table to be reminded of what motivates us in the first place. Jesus' body broken. His blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is an act of worship. This is a profession of faith. Me taking these or saying, yes, I believe that. 